listening to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm James Batchelor, and this week I am joined by... Marie D'Alessandri. Brendan Sinclair. We're going to be talking about the biggest stories of the past week, the past three weeks, in fact, and we have a special guest on for this. Please welcome Thomas Biscalia of The Game Attorney. Yeah, hi, good morning. Or afternoon, I guess. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Tom. Um, you've been one of the legal experts on our, our little panel that I've been uh, I've been consulting, like uh, doing a kind of a weekly review. Um, at the time of recording, the last one of those is is in the process of going up on the website, so that should be available for people to read when they hear this episode. Um, so a little bit of, uh, on you first, like kind of what's your background in terms of um, you know, you, both the game and the attorney part of your of your career? Yeah, I. Uh I started my career, uh, I graduated when I was in, actually in my late 30s, and uh, uh, you don't want to know about the part before that it's way too interesting, uh, but I, uh, I graduated from Georgetown University and uh, went into uh, litigation practice, being a former performer, I liked being in front of the jury, uh, did that for a while, then uh, in, the, uh, in the 80s and uh, late early 90s I got into video games. Uh, I'd built up some computers for my office, and uh, that led me to Quake, which led me to uh, E3 in Atlanta, which led me to GDC, which led me to realizing that this is really, that what happened was I realized that as I got more involved that a lot of uh, developers really needed uh, my skill set, which is more business and legal oriented. Uh, so I grabbed the gameattorney.com uh, 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 URL and uh, got active in the International Game Developers Association, uh, serving on the board and even as chair. Uh, and uh, the rest, I guess, is uh, history. You know. Uh, so I've been in the industry for, for a little over 30 years. I represented my first developer in '91. I've uh, generally represented only independent developers, uh, not publishers. So I've sort of uh, I like the little guy. I like to fight <laughs> for the little guy against the big guy. So I do have some bias in favor of developers, which I think is a, I think is the right thing. Fortunately, the Epic Apple case is, is both big guys, so we don't have to worry about you being prejudiced on the, on the one side. Well, uh, there's no question that uh, uh, Tim Sweeney, that, that Tim, not the other Tim, uh, is trying to have a positive impact on, on all developers. <laughs> At least that's... Uh, I, I met Tim years ago, and I've known known of him, and uh, met him a couple times. And I think he's genuine. I think he's the real deal, the, in, in spite of the fact that he's just ungodly rich. Um, <laughs> you know, I, you can't hold that against the guy. Uh, but no, he's. I think he's legit. I think he real. I mean, you know, he's running a business. He wants to look out for his own interests. But I also think he's into into making a positive impact for for all developers. Uh, anyway, that's my that's my bias, I suppose, and my background. So, how closely have you been following the um, the case and the run up to the case before the trial? <clears throat> well, I mean, I was pretty. I mean, I uh, let's see. I think I've been pretty aware of it. I I did not read the entire complaint. I did not uh, listen to all of the the live streams over the. I, I've checked in a couple times, but. I have to tell you, I did. I was a trial attorney for uh, uh, almost twenty years, and uh, there's nothing more boring than watching somebody else do a trial. I mean, it's just <laughs> it's pain. It's it is painful. Uh, but uh, that said, uh, once James asked me to give an opinion, I felt obliged to uh, dig into things a lot deeper. And uh, uh, I've been watching uh, Ida's text stream and uh, and you know 
garnering as much information as I can. I've especially uh, been more intrigued by uh, what Judge Rogers has been asking than what any of the lawyers or their witnesses have been saying. Mm, she's been getting very involved in the case. We'll, we'll, we'll touch on that later. I kind of want to do just a kind of a brief intro to the case. Um, I'm fairly certain that anyone listening at this point will understand what Epic versus Apple is about. But kind of from your perspective, from what you've been um, looking at, and I know you haven't read the, the, the full official complaint, but kind of from the bits of trial you said, what is it that Epic is actually asking for? What is it they actually want to change? Well, I think they're looking to open up. I mean, ideally, what would they really like? I suppose they would like to have uh, uh, the relevant market, which is essential in this. I guess we'll need to go into that a little bit. But have that defined as uh, as mobile games and then uh, basically force Apple to restructure its business model <laughs> uh, and allow people to basically sideload games and uh, sell IAP uh, anywhere they want and uh, direct people off of the Apple platform to go buy things somewhere else. Um, and I, I think, you know, that's probably a long shot, but that's their dream world. Uh, I think what they're, they, they would be perfectly happy since they're, uh, you know, in the world of free games with in-app purchases. Uh, that's their core business model So for Fortnite. So I think they'd be happy if, if at least um, they could uh, get the court to, to force Apple to give up their anti-steering uh, policy. Uh, and I suppose I should explain what that is, too. Uh, the anti-steering policy is, and this is how uh, 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 Fortnite got kicked off of the uh, Apple store, uh, the App Store, and that is uh, they basically put a link in the game that allowed people and told people that if they followed the link, they could go to the Epic store and buy the in-game currency for 20% off, right? Now, this clearly violated the anti Apple has a policy that you can't put anything in your game that takes people off of the platform for any reason, including to buy stuff cheaper. And antitrust law is based on anti-competitive activity that harms the consumer, so uh, Epic can't go in and say, oh, this is hurting our business because that's, that doesn't matter. It does not hurt, it's not harming consumers, uh, even, if, uh, even if they could prove that Apple was in a, a monopolistic position. The fact that they were being hurt by it, since they're a business, not a consumer, uh, it wouldn't have had legs. But by directing people, by intentionally violating uh, this policy and directing people to a the opportunity to purchase the same product at a lower price, they basically locked in this harm to the consumer. I actually thought it was brilliant, and I thought the uh, the the take uh, the take on the 1984 Apple ad was pretty good too. So Apple's defense to this then is, um, from from what I heard, it, it it sounded like they were saying like this is sort of part and parcel with the iPhone like this is how the iPhone or the iOS system works um, but they wouldn't yeah they wouldn't I mean, say like yeah the app store is a separate business with its own profit margin specifically because of that right well they just refuse to I mean it's it's ludicrous to believe that that uh, Tim Cook doesn't know 
how much of his profit comes from the app store. I mean, that's that's just ridiculous. He's got a feeling. I mean, he's got a feeling. Yes. He's got a, yeah. He's got a feeling. Yeah, he's got a feeling from the fifteen meetings a year where they talk about it. I, I don't know. That's I. I didn't. I. I was. I got to be honest. I was very unimpressed with Apple, and could be my my bias, I guess. But uh, you know, their their argument that um, we don't know how much money we're making there, but we know that all the money we're making uh, is really going to increase security and our increase security and privacy on our fabulous iPhone. I mean that. The fact that there was a marketing guy sitting at Apple's council table the whole time probably tells a great deal of the story. That sounded like a marketing campaign to me. I mean, who are they talking to? And it may be right. Maybe that's the best platform. Because, uh, you know, it's not like the judge is going to be impressed by anything like that. Uh, she's got literally a room full of documents to review, all of which are uh, at least theoretically relevant. Uh, tomes of case law to review to find the the uh, applicable precedent that she needs to rely on to decide the case, and then lastly, um, what happened in the trial, and it's probably in terms of her analysis. Uh, that's why you know people are saying, well, the trial's over. When are we going to have a verdict? And she, and she's already said maybe August, which was about which is about what I thought in the first place. There's no question it's going to take a long time. What I loved is um, she said in the in the closing session that when you, she said she said by August thirteenth, and she was trying to make a joke because August thirteenth will be the anniversary of the hot fix that introduced direct payments to Fortnite, and she actually came and was like, oh, "Look, I made a joke. Not everyone got it, but it's still going to take a lot of time. Like this is still not going to be next week. Like it might not be August. Yeah, might might be before, might be after. Like it's um, but yeah, it's 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 clear. It's interesting because I think. I think this is certainly in, in years, years that certainly the years I've been covering the games industry, this is the most high-profile case and probably gives the industry like a, a really good insight into how the law process works and and how slow it is. Oh, it grinds. I, you know, I I have to tell you, I was shocked that this case actually came to trial as fast as it did. I, I when I was doing I used to, I did uh, trial work for uh, uh, oh, I don't know about fifteen years twenty years uh, earlier in my career, and uh, to get a case to trial in less than a year is is was was unheard of uh, in a case this big. The uh, for example when they uh, when MCI sued AT uh, Ma Bell the original uh, Bell telephone system because they held a monopoly over the entire United States. Uh, and they were deemed to be an essential service, and the, the actually the court broke up uh, Ma Bell into regional companies as a result. But that case was in, it was in discovery, document discovery, for five or six years before it went to trial. So uh, this, is, this is breakneck speed. I, I'm actually shocked by it. Uh, and apparently they were able to do it, but that's a tremendous amount. These cases are complex. The legal theories are very subtle. Um, and I think they overall, I think both sides did a good job in the presentation. I just, you know, it, it, I, I, some of the articles we're reading were saying, well, Epic was 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 unfocused, and and Apple had a constant message. Yeah, this is not, but this isn't an ad campaign. It's a trial. You know, you want you want everything uh, in there. You want to get it all in the record. Uh, I thought one of the inter- one of the more interesting things was that uh, so there's a ten count complaint. And each different count is a dif- different legal legal theory. 
Uh, and one of the legal theories they have is they were that Epic argued in its complaint was that uh, if uh, mobile phones are the relevant market, then because of its market position, um, Apple is in, in effect an essential facility. That in order to enter that market, you must put your you must put an app you must put your your basically your game uh, on the app stores to succeed. And I will tell you, I represent I've represented over two hundred independent developers, and it's absolutely true. If you, you nobody would nobody in their right mind would build a mobile game and put it out on Android without putting it on Apple first. It just doesn't happen. And uh, when you looked at the uh, the graph on Fortnite sales, they said, okay. Fortnite sells a lot of a lot of makes a lot of money in a lot of places. Seven percent of their revenue comes from iOS, or it did. Zero point five percent of its revenue comes from Android. Uh, and I think that that that's a telling story. Basically, uh, and 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 keep in mind, Android may be big around the world, but this case is all about what happens in the U.S. U.S. consumers harm to U.S. consumers. So that's 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 pretty telling. That that number. Uh, that, I, I'm I'm sorry. I think that number was actually a little like misleading, though, right? Because for the longest time, you had to sideload Fortnite onto Android. It didn't actually show up on the Google Play Store. I think until like just a few months before they pushed the Hotfix Live that had them pull everything. So, mm-hmm. like, I'm sure it was not as big as as the App Store. Um, revenue share regardless uh, it, but they they uh, yeah. were kind of like they had a, a hand tied behind their back as far as selling on on android there for a while well i thought some of the testimony earlier was that uh, uh that 87.5 percent of mobile game revenue is on the ios and it was in part because people on ios spend more um because they're spendier people but I, you know, I don't know. But I, I do know that I can't imagine any any developer in their right mind uh, doing a mobile game and, and putting it on Android and not releasing it on iOS, um, unless it, unless there was some limitation. Certainly, if they wanted to make money, they wouldn't do that. So, what were the most convincing arguments you heard from Apple then, when they were talking about the uh, the possibility of directing people to other platforms? Um, and, and, and they mentioned that like you, you could go to Epic games and dot com and buy V bucks on, you know, a 20% discount or whatever, and then spend them on iOS and Apple would not see any, any part of that, that revenue share. Um, so there's ways around it. They, they tried to, Apple tried to argue that this was a common practice for a lot of games and did a very poor job of that. Um, but like it is, it is possible. And then when you, when you try and like define the market as like just mobile games, um, it's, it's difficult to really take that as like, well, yes, that's clearly the market where people are competing when in Fortnite itself, people in mobile are competing against people on PC and people on console already just with crossplay. So it's, it's the, the market definition challenge I think was, um, particularly, particularly difficult for Epic to make, 
uh, credibly just because the barriers and the lines between all these separate markets, uh, things that used to be kind of traditionally separate are, are blurring so much in recent years. And I, I think it, on the whole, I was kind of like, you know, I, w- I would say I, I thought Epic made stronger points, but like those were those were some of the the arguments Apple was making that I was like, eh, I don't really have a, a great, you know, retort to that. Well, I think that you're con- it seems to me you're 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 confusing gameplay with market. Um, nobody, nobody goes to the PS5 to buy uh to buy an iOS game, although people do, do go to their iOS to buy uh, PS, PS PlayStation games, so I suppose there is that. Yeah, but if I want to um, play Fortnite, like, there's a Fortnite over here, and there's a Fortnite over there, and I, I understand that yeah, consoles it, and phones are completely different use cases, but it, it's it's still, you know, this is... Maybe I've got a very broad interpretation of, of things that compete in the first place. I I think that I I mean I, that's their argument I, and I don't I think it is the best argument they had I just I thought that their uh, their their uh, argument toward market definition was weak it may be enough you know uh, I you, you but if it isn't then they're kind of they're in pretty bad shape I think that you know I think they run the risk of being deemed to be an essential facility which would crack them wide open. Um, and it's this isn't just you know it's not just here. There's the uh, there's the case in I believe there's an active case where is it in Australia or New Zealand? Um, the EU is looking at them uh, in a, in a in a more formal way. Um, I suspect that uh, even uh, under the Biden administration, who knows, we may actually have an antitrust department that's active in the Justice Department again. We haven't had one for as long as I can remember. Well, the the, but, uh, the I thought- Trump antitrust people took issue with. Uh, Time Warner, CNN parents, uh, and, and their deal Please, with it. Just don't, don't, don't say that word. He, who, he whose name shall not be spoken. I apologize. Uh, it was like you know, let's let's not bring the clown car into this discussion. Uh, one of the things that I thought was really telling was uh, the the fact that the judge seemed, and I don't think this is this is anything that she can base her opinion on. Or maybe it is, but it certainly could influence her her view of the of, of the of the ecosystem on the iOS, and that is, she seemed to be awfully offended by the fact that uh, game developers seem to be subsidizing banks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that whole thing where so you've got this small sector of of the uh, what is it, hundred and fifty thousand apps, or even or it's way more than that probably on the store. Then this 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 sector is games, and they're paying thirty percent, and everybody else is getting a free ride, or a lot a lot of them are, not all of them, that's for sure. There are plenty of use cases where uh, people are, but I don't think Amazon gives uh, uh, gives Apple thirty percent of what it sells on the iOS. I'm pretty sure they don't. Um, so there, and I, and then there, and then there's the argument, yes, but that brings more people there. Well, games, you know, if you look at the use cases: how many how many hours are spent on phones, and how much of it is spent doing um, doing uh, playing games? I suspect that it's a sub- substantial amount of the time. I'm sure people spend more, way more time. Well, they probably spend more time on TikTok and YouTube. But uh, and oh wait, they don't pay either. And I think the hard the hardest case 
the hardest case for Apple was really Roblox and that that crazy. Well, games are defined as a. Uh, it starts, it has some challenges, and then it ends, and, and everybody blew up on that. I mean, that was, that was like a running joke for the longest time. I guess it still is. They kept making gaffes like that. Um, you know, Tim Cook not being able to remember. Uh, games are this narrow, narrow definition of games, or that, it's a, that playing on the, PS, uh, the PS4, the PS5, Xbox, or PC is the same as playing on your phone. I, I don't know. I didn't think they had, uh, there was a lot of weakness. The question is, though, uh, even if you assume they have market power, then uh, the, harder, the harder question is, is there a remedy that can be, uh, that can be formulated by the court that, that, that adequately addresses uh, this monopoly, if it is a monopoly, uh, and uh, gets a relief that is going to benefit the consumers? And I noticed she she kept coming back. Uh, Judge Rogers kept coming back to this uh, this anti steering policy, and I and I think there's there's a lot to be said. First of all, uh, if they were to remove the anti steering policy, most people would probably still buy their in app purchases on the phone, right? Because it's too easy. It's just too it's too easy. Click, push a button, push a button. You got you got what you want, right? Or click a button, go to the browser. Go to the place in the browser that it sends you, then click a button there. I mean, yeah, it's only three more pokes with your finger, but you know how pokeless people want to be. Um, so I, I think that that's. I think that that seemed to be, if she was looking for a a, a baby to cut in half, uh, that seemed to be one that that was probably most palatable. Uh, and I she seemed because she kept coming back to that. Um, and I think that's that really solves uh, Apple's. I mean, solves Epic's problem, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, gives them yeah. gives them a, a direct route to that that revenue. Judge Gonzalez Rogers, like she was very kind of active. I, this is the first bench trial I've I've followed this closely. That she was hmm. very um, very active in terms of like directly questioning, commenting, and even like kind of cross examining witnesses herself. And I've I've, mm-hmm. I've read a lot of coverage um, over the last three weeks of people like kind of reading into that as to how she might rule um like you said like she keeps on coming back to this um anti-steering policy like how much can we read into to her contribution like how much is she showing her hand or is she is she just kind of playing devil's advocate at, at the time i guess i think it's more than devil's advocate it's sort of like you know we what do we have 10 days of expert witnesses was it that many uh, uh three weeks maybe more maybe two full weeks of experts it was it was hideously boring and you say, well, gee, God, why are they doing this over and over again? And 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 they were they were as I think uh, James, you may have said this. They just were talking across each other. Well, that, that's uh, in part because uh, what they were really doing was educating Judge Rogers. And uh, by the time they were done with that, and if you if you look at some of her early questions, and then uh, and then uh, her later ability to understand the, the the ecosystem and how games work and how iOS works. She was she was actually fairly well educated in the process. So, you know, I don't think uh, expert testimony is just that they have expertise and they're supposed to provide uh, a better understanding of a relevant point to the court. Um, I love the fact that this was a bench trial. If this had been a jury trial, we would have no insight at all. And uh, clearly, I don't think the judge isn't. She's she's not being coy. She's not playing around here. 
I, I think the idea that she's being devil's advocate, yeah, she's asking hard questions because she wants a better understanding and she's and she's formulating it, but it does give you insight into her into her uh, her mental processes. So uh, I think it uh, to me, you're, I agree. It was it was like the most fascinating part of the whole thing was just being able to see her her questioning. You know the fact that you know I mean. She didn't laugh out loud at Tim Cook when he said he didn't know if they were making money on this on the app store or how much. I'm just like, uh, oh my god! But that's interesting, really, though. Like, sorry to interrupt. Sorry. Please. No, I was just going to ask. The, the whole Tim Cook not knowing thing is really something that bothers me because, well, it's like we all kind of said it. It's a bit, it's a bit ridiculous, isn't it? Um, he pretends to know to not know a lot of things that we. We're pretty sure it does know them, right? So how does the judge actually analyze these kind of testimonies when it's fairly obvious to everyone that they do know? Like, what's the what's the way to proceed, I guess, is my question. Like, how are these kinds of testimonies taken into consideration for the final verdict? I certainly don't think it helps Apple's case, but to be honest, it probably doesn't hurt it much. Um, the judge is going to rule based on the facts and the law. The fact that somebody didn't give her information that what she'll do is then she has no choice but to rely on the expert testimony of epics witnesses right and if you don't give you know uh, there's a, a principle in in the law where if you if you withhold evidence then it is presumed to be against you so and i think that'll that i mean i think that that applies it also you know, uh, you've got somebody who's, you've got the head of a company that's being charged with being a bad actor and he's acting disingenuously on the witness stand. I don't know. Does that bias you? Probably. Uh, so I did, I thought it was stupid. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm surprised there wasn't a big short sell in Apple stock. My God, the head of the company doesn't know if they're making money on the app store or how much they're making uh, or how much of that is going to security uh, yeah, that's crazy. Uh, it has been very interesting. It's 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 been a really interesting insight into uh, into how these companies work, though. And uh, I, you know, but I still got you know on one side I've got uh, a company that started as an independent game developer, and the other one started as a as a hardware manufacturer. So I guess I'm you know where my as I said you know where my bias yeah. is. Well, uh, one th- one thing I was. Um wondering about was we've we've been watching this whole trial kind of uh keeping in mind that judge gonzalez rogers had said this could have ramifications for you know the console market basically um and i'm i'm wondering how how likely you think it is that whatever uh ruling that she that she gives would actually you know, require changes on the console market because, like, isn't it sort of dependent on having that uh, monopoly position in the market? And do any of the console makers really have that? I don't think so. I mean, the, the I mean, uh, I think Apple. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Microsoft and uh, and Sony are probably very happy to have each other right now. Uh, <laughs> Although there there could be a question about whether they've made any agreements about pricing, I think the better the the better argument would be uh, 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 Valve's uh, dominant uh, position on PC with Steam, uh, that, that which 
which could be deemed to be monopolistic, but I, I, I think because of the similarities, at least in, in a lot of way, be to, uh, between uh, uh, consoles and the PC, it's it's a it's a little less likely. But of of the of of if we say that the, the 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 let's call them the four platforms, let's not leave Nintendo out of here. They'll get bad. They'll get mad at me. But um, like I care. Uh, anyway, uh, the of those four. Uh, the four major uh, uh, platforms of uh, of Sony, Microsoft, uh, Nintendo, and PC. Um, uh, I think that the PC market, if that were PC games were identified as a as a relevant market, then uh, Valve might have some trouble. But I I, I don't I don't know about that. It's. It, I mean, it's clearly, there's there's plenty of options for PC games. L- there's literally probably over a hundred different portals where you can buy games. Although a lot of them are just selling Steam keys. It's weird to me that uh, antitrust law seems to work by saying like, okay, if if you start a new company and you have all these policies and you run your business like the way Apple runs the App Store, uh, that's fine. That's great. You're competing in the market, and that's excellent. But then, like, once you hit a certain vaguely specified threshold, all of a sudden the exact same policies and the exact same behavior is uh, because you're you you're deemed a monopoly is suddenly not allowed. And it seems like there's not there's not really any way for companies to pivot away from that, you know, this is now anti-competitive behavior, um, except through like a court case like this. Yep. That's why they call it the law. <laughs> no, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, you know, oh, it, it, so Apple, because it's been so tremendously successful, is now being punished, right? But this isn't really a punishment. It, it, it's, it really is essentially to make sure that when someone gets to that position, regardless of how they got there, and, and it's always or almost always because they earned it. Um, I've seen this a lot of times this will happen because one company has made a tremendous capital investment in infrastructure, for example, the railroad cases. Um, but once they get to a certain point where they control uh, access to the market, then uh, whether it's right or wrong, uh, the legislatures have decided that that it gets to a certain point where it starts harming people, where they can use that power to act to the detriment of the consumers, and they, they need to, and the government needs to step in. Um, I'm I'm certain that you know free market people will probably find this quite abhorrent, um, but uh, that it's the way it is. It's sort of like you know speed limits. I don't, you know I don't like them, but I you can't argue with them. Similarly to what Brendan was mentioning about uh, platform holders and the, the um, other implications this, this could have, I did have a question around um, Google. We did mention Android earlier. And yes, uh, for sure, Fortnite doesn't make as much money on Android that it does on iOS. But um, there is ongoing legal ca- cases between Epic and Google too. There's a Epic versus Google trial that is expected in the US and in, in other territories too. So I did wonder... I don't know if that's something you can speculate about, but whether or not the Apple verdict could impact the ongoing cases between um, Epic and Google. 
Well, it'll probably have an influence on the definition of a relevant market if uh, if, if Judge Rogers concludes that uh, that uh, the relevant market is uh, mobile games. That would probably uh, uh, I, that might stick as precedent. I mean, we don't know what what the what the precedent's going to be in this state in this case anyway, because whatever she decides, it will be appealed. Uh, to the Ninth Circuit, and that case will then be appealed to the Supreme Court. So we're not going to have a decision here for th four years, maybe three to four, three to five. Um, so I mean, there is that too, and and then when it gets there, this I mean, the district court case will carry some precedent. The uh, the circuit court, the appellate, the first level, the appellate court system in the states, that will have a, a much more profound precedential value. Um, and the Supreme Court, of course, is a, a court of last resort in the states, and that has a complete precedential value, unless the Supreme Court changes it later. So uh, it, it will have value, certainly. Uh, people, it's, it's very common for one district judge to, uh, or uh, in an argument before one district judge, you would cite the opinion of another district judge. If there's, if there's no appellate opinions, it, it certainly is very persuasive, though perhaps not binding. And when there's and if you get a different decision out of two different district courts, that's when it goes up really fast. Uh, about ha about a, a significant portion of the cases that make it to the Supreme Court are when there's a, a dispute between the, in the same factual scenario in two dif two different uh, circuits. Um, there's eleven circuits and then the D.C. Circuit. The, um, the Supreme Court can decline to hear a case and let the the appellate court's uh, decisions stand, right? Yes, but they have discretion. They have discretionary authority. Can yeah. can the appellate court decline to to hear an appeal, or is it kind of automatic that you'll at least get get a hearing there? Well, they they have to rule, but they can uh, do what's uh, what's. Uh, referred to as a per curiam affirmed uh, PCA, uh, which is uh, which is where they, they look at the case, they read through all the materials, and then they say, nah, and just refuse to, I mean, they, they basically decline to hear it. They affirm the lower court's ruling. Um, but even that decision can then be appealed to the Supreme Court. I had a, I had a, a case where uh, I, I uh, got a got a verdict in the on the in the district court it was appealed to the circuit court it was pca'd they filed a writ uh of certiorari to have the supreme court hear the case and and then uh and then uh, the supreme court uh, uh, declined to hear it and and affirmed the pca hmm. so uh and that's my only appearance before the us supreme court <laughs> but i but i did win nice <laughs> As we've been saying, though, like it goes beyond just the U.S. courts. Like, um, so Epic is taking on Apple in, if I remember rightly, Australia, and they filed a complaint in the European Union. They had tried taking them against. Um, they had tried taking them on in the U.K., but the U.K. Uh, competition trial decided not to pursue a trial in the UK until the outcome you know, preferring to defer to the outcome of the US trial they're taking on Google in Australia the UK I don't believe the European Union but I could be wrong on that then they and if not they're probably preparing that so it's not just like you say like it's, you know three or four years just before the um, decision of this particular trial are we looking are we talking about like kind of decades of waiting for a hard and fast rule on this 
Well, I guess we'll we'll keep waiting as long as uh, as Epic's willing to spend money. Hmm. And Lord knows they got enough. Um, <laughs> I, I, th- I honestly think the case against Google is much, much more difficult because Google does not have the only marketplace. So the argument of at least the essential facility argument disappears. Um, uh, do they have control of the market? I, I mean, it, it, the, the choices are there. Uh, whether people take advantage of them is a whole different question. Um, but I, I, there's also the the uh, tying thing where you know if you get a if you get a, a Google device that has a Google Store built into it, most Android devices do. That could be a little problematic, it's sort of similar to the uh, the Microsoft case where they were uh, they were tying uh, the operating system to their browsers, um, which was found to be anti-competitive. Uh, so I don't know. I, I guess it, it, it's it's a much tougher case to make than Apple, and I think there's a reason why they push the Apple case forward um, and hit them first. Uh, and I'm not I I'm not sure what they're looking for there, uh, since there's I, as far as I know there's no anti-steering policy um, in the in the an, on Android platform. So what what's what's your problem here? The fact that they charge thirty percent is. That's their business. That, that can be know. the only problem. The, the, the Google case has, has confused me from the beginning because, as we said earlier, for the longest time, like for you, for, for, at, at first, Fortnite was only available by sideloading the or, or, or you know, sideloading the launcher, or I think they found some sort of like a way to get the Epic Games launcher onto um, onto Android systems. So they didn't go through Google Play specifically to kind of avoid that thirty percent store tax, as as Tim Sweeney has referred to it. Um, so, like, all the things they're fighting for in the Apple case are, like, you know, opening up the ecosystem and allowing, um, you know, other stores and other ways of getting games on so that, you know, consumers have more choice. Ultimately, like, that was pointless. They can fight for it, but it's not necessarily, as we've said, it's not necessarily something people are going to use because they've already seen on Android that not enough people used it. Not enough people did do the kind of the sideloading or the direct install because inevitably they went on Google Play anyway for the visibility. Yeah. No, I agree. I think it's a much harder case. It's interesting that everybody charges 30% too, isn't it? Hmm. Where does that figure come from? I remember someone, I swear someone told me that that was basically, that's based on the the physical retail, the physical distribution cut is like retailers take 30%. So that's where that figure comes from. Um, no, and it's no, just, it's def- definitely no. not. Um, I represented... Uh, uh, Tripwire Interactive, uh, who was, I believe, the well, it was the first FPS game on on Steam, and uh, the original. I says, technically this may be confidential, but I'm sure that Valve doesn't care that I tell them that they did a good thing. But the original the original deal there was fifty uh, percent uh, to the developer uh, on an on a non on an ex, was it on on a non-exclusive basis and uh, 60% on an exclusive basis. And then all by themselves, uh, Apple contacted my client and said, oh, we're giving you more, all right? So as near as I can tell, I'm pretty sure, and at the time, keep in mind that uh, for uh, for game portals, uh, PC game portals, uh, real networks and uh, places like that for casual games, they were giving 40% to developers, and then they were bundling games. So the, the net uh, rev share to developers was probably closer to 20%. Uh, publishing deals, 
you were lucky if you could get 14% net. And that was that was 40% of net wholesale after the publisher deducted all of their operating costs. I mean, it's just, you know, you Ford, uh, a $50 game, the developer might get $4. So, uh, you know, Valve broke that open. I think it was a huge benefit to the industry. Um, but just like uh, like the iOS, you know, it was a great benefit to developers. But uh, as they as they the more they succeed, uh, the the less attractive that thirty percent share looks, <laughs> because it's it's not like their operational costs uh, and overhead goes up at the same rate as the expansion of the market. You know that it's much more. Uh, there's a lot of fixed costs there, and then of course there there are there are variable costs, but there's certainly not enough to consume that entire thirty percent once you get to a certain tipping point. But I'm pretty sure that it was uh, that, that I would blame uh, I would blame Gabe for the uh, uh, for the thirty percent, and I and I think it was a huge a huge benefit to to developers and and the fact that we can that developers can now you know actually have access to the marketplace. Geez, when I started this, you couldn't sell your game yourself; you had to go with a publisher. So it's you know the evolution of the industry is a, that's a whole different topic, but. Uh, uh, it's been an interesting ride, and I think I think that uh, I do think we've kind of reached a tipping point where, where thirty percent was 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 very generous. You know, it was uh, the seventy percent to developers. Let's not talk about the thirty percent, but let's talk about the seventy percent rev share to developers was is was very generous when it started, but it doesn't mean it's generous today. I guess the other question is if 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 Apple were charging less. Would would consumers benefit or would developers benefit? I'm surprised Apple didn't make that argument. If we charge less, the developers are going to make more, but people are going to still pay the same price. If developers <laughs> make more, then it's easier for more of them to make a business of it on iOS, and then consumers benefit from having a larger variety of options. I think you need to go to law school. <laughs> that was brilliant. I like it. I like it a lot. That is all we've got time for this week. We'll be back on Friday with the last GI Live audio session uh, with Peter Moore from previously of EA Sports, but now uh, Nifty and Unity. We could be getting more insight into the connection between sports and video games there. You can find all the previous GI Live episodes and all previous game developers playlists and five games of. More of those coming at some point uh, on the podcasting platform of your choice. All of our episodes are on one single feed for your convenience and you can get more news insight and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz. (laughs) 